Welcome to a new episode of Riyadh, a podcast about entrepreneurship in the Middle East and North Africa region. I'm Marissa Khurma, director of the Middle East program here at the Wilson Center, and my co-host is Ahmad Shawa of the Howdy Arabia podcast, tuning in from Amman, Jordan. We continue our focus on the film industry in the MENA region, and today we look at the production side of filmmaking. So we're really excited to be learning more about this from Ali Jafar, a film producer who currently heads the film division at NBC Studios. He's produced The Swimmers for working title on Netflix, which tells the true story of two sisters who left their home in war-torn Syria for a new life abroad in Europe and had the opportunity to compete in the 2016 Summer Olympics. Other films Ali produced include King of Thieves, starring Sir Michael Caine, and The Idol, which tells the story of Muhammad Asaf, the Palestinian winner of Arab Idol, which was directed by two-time Oscar-nominated Palestinian filmmaker Hani Abu Asad. Ali, what an impressive rollout. Um, so thank you for joining us today and welcome to Riyadh. Thank you, Marissa. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, I guess we are so curious to know a little bit more about how this all started for you. What's your story um, with filmmaking and and movies? Tell us more. Okay. Um, so I initially was a journalist uh, and I was covering, you know, I started kind of doing film reviews and, and interviews. And I also started um, covering the actual business of, of, of kind of filmmaking um, and the kind of film and TV industry for a magazine called Variety that was one of the kind of preeminent trade publications going back over 100 years for Hollywood and then the international uh, entertainment business. So through that, um, I rose to become international editor. And just the access to people, you know, I'd get to interview the most important producers and filmmakers and, and studio executives. So you create um, you know, a kind of network of, of relationships uh, and I always believed in, you know, respecting the relationship more than the story. And so far, you know, sometimes you get access to a piece of, you know, exclusive information and you can make a big short-term splash, but it's sometimes to the detriment of that individual or the project or the company. Uh, so I would generally tend to, uh, you know, play the relationship rather than the story, which then creates a level of trust, obviously, in, in those people. So when it came to wanting to try to make the switch over, thankfully, I was able to, you know, I had good relationships with a number of people um, that enabled me to, you know, make that switch over into production. Um, so that's kind of how it first started. So what does, what does it entail to actually make a switch over to production? Like, how does it all work? Well, I mean, look, I think, Ultimately, producing in its, I think, in its most crystallized form is is two things. It's it's having an idea, um, and then it's solving problems. So it's really as simple as that, which is not simple at all. Insofar as because it's it's just a daily grind of, of kind of solving problems, whether it's in the, you know trying to put a story together with talent, and then trying to find the money for it, and then getting it into production, and then keeping it in production because. On, you know, in production every day, there's a million problems. Um, and they only ever call you when there is a problem. So you, you only ever get bad news. And then you hopefully mm -hmm. try and get it through post-production and try and find a home for it in terms of distribution. And you hope that at the end of all of that, 
the film is worth seeing, uh, which is often not the case because it's been such an effort just to get it over the line. Um, you know, most movies, for example, on iTunes or on uh, aren't aren't great movies. You know, it's it, it, if you think of the hundreds of movies made a year, maybe a dozen or, or, or a couple of dozen are, are kind of good. So you're always facing those odds with any with, with any attempt to kind of create something out of nothing. Having said that, the, the 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 potential benefit and upside of creating a story that is meaningful, that has some kind of commercial life, and also enables you to put you know very talented people with something to say and give them a platform. Uh, is ultimately uh, a very attractive one and worth all the headaches mm. and the migraines and the kind of uh, pitfalls. Mm. Sounds like a typical entrepreneurial journey with all the setbacks. Um, <laughs> the except setbacks except and... there's, no, there's no money to be made for, for quite some time and um, even up till now. Right. You know, I think, uh, and the kind of stories that I've tended to be great, to kind of gravitate towards have you know, obviously being an Arab or you know someone of, of Arab origin, but kind of growing up in the mm-hmm. West, I've always naturally been. You know, it's 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 where I come from. It's it, it, so that I'm I'm always kind of focused on that. Whether it was my, with my writing initially, um, and also the stories I tell, you know, I tend to, to gravitate towards. I I think it's natural. I think not think it's intentional, but almost accidentally, there's these inspirational uplifting stories that somehow can change the 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 kind of dialogue about the arab world you know with with the idol for example which is the first movie that i you know produced independently outside of a company it was kind of my baby um you know i was just taken from the minute i read the story about muhammad asaf and it's just like you know it's it's a movie it's a natural movie you know this taxi driver wedding singer in gaza he's able to break out somehow he gets into egypt he get you know, he kind of bluffs his way and hustles his way into the auditions, and then he just blows everyone away. And his journey to you know to, to the finale just captivates the Arab world. And when he wins, you just have to see the real life footage of Palestinians uh, celebrating. And it's like he won the World Cup, um, and it really was a victory for a people, not just. And it's just a reality. You know, it's just an entertainment show, but it, there, there was something more. Uh, there was something symbolic about it. So, you know. Being able to put that one together in very difficult circumstances, you know, we shot all in location in Palestine. We also shot in Gaza uh, for, you know, for some of the movie. You know, that, and then being able to take that to a global audience and to actually be able to sell the movie, you know, we sold it everywhere. I mean, we sold it to really strong distributors in Europe, uh, in Latin America, North America, in Asia, China. So, you know, to be able to get that level of exposure on a story like that is, you know, is really quite um, fulfilling, satisfying. Yeah, I can imagine so. Well, kudos for following your heart um, um, with these stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of journeys, uh, sorry, I need to interrupt you. Um, I met you 15 years ago in. Uh, in London, when you were a journalist, and uh, I remember that your your parents had moved to the UK, and uh, and you actually moved to the UAE. Uh, is that is that uh, while you were in journalism, or kind of transitioning? And what what does the UAE offer <laughs> someone you like you? Transitioning. In terms of <laughs> transitioning means many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, when I was actually, I moved to Dubai from London because of the production, uh, because of the, the, the kind of producing career. Idol had been a co-production with NBC, and when whenever an independent producer, I was still in London at the time. Whenever an independent producer, you know, finds a source of financing, which I did with NBC, you just start bombarding them with ideas to the point where they're like, look, stop, 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 stop sending us 20 ideas a day. Just come and do this with us from the inside. And you know, at the time, we had two young kids. Um, and, you know, you know, Maya, my wife, very well. Uh, you know, she had family and very good friends in Dubai. Uh, so that it, it was just the perfect kind of situation where, you know, kind of moving to Dubai, a kind of new adventure with a big company like NBC that had great ambitions to kind of take Arabic stories global and really elevate the quality of Arabic stories, both in the region and beyond, was an amazing adventure uh, and, a, and a, an amazing opportunity and one that has since become even more pronounced since the kind of launch of NBC Studios, where I work, uh, which is the kind of dedicated production distribution arm that really has a big focus on you know, kind of like I said, trying to correct and certainly change the the kind of dialogue and POV on on, on Arabs uh, globally, like I said, inside the Arab world and beyond. And and um, I mean, it seems like you got into this right at this like pivotal point for the region to really start turning the page around. And like you said, change the narrative about the people and the region. Um, or sort of like uh, yeah. take take ownership of the story. So so how what what did that look like? What does that look like? This um this shift? Why why are we seeing this? It's not by design, so I can't take any credit. It's kind of being in the right place at the right time. It's somewhat fortuitous, but you're right we're in a moment now and we haven't fully achieved it yet or realized it yet because it's still happening around us where there are mm. particularly in the arab world a number of kind of dynamics that i think can it doesn't mean that we'll succeed but i think will give us the let's say the soil where there really can be i think um, a boom in in the quality and quantity but really it's a quality that's important of, of, of storytelling from the region and, and i think there's a number of factors Obviously, with the switch to digital, with the growth of streamers, mm. you know, if you if you look at NBC's own kind of SVOD platform, Shahid, you know, which the kind of the number one dedicated Arab language um, digital platform, but you also look at the big global players, you know, Netflix is is doing more in the region. You see yeah. Disney coming into the region, Apple coming into the region, um, <clears throat> eventually people like Paramount, etc. So. There, it's just the timing is exciting because it's still somewhat of, of an undiscovered region, the Arab world. Um, it hasn't yet achieved, for example, the maturity of other foreign language uh, territories like Korea, you know, which is which has won the best picture Oscar and, and, and had kind of great success with, with shows like Squid Game. Or if you look at, you know, Scandinavia with its TV shows, Italy, Germany, you know, the, these are all kind of countries uh, and, and areas who have exported their stories with great success. <coughs> we haven't yet seen that really in the Arab world. Um, but I think our time is coming if we can tell the right mm -hmm. stories in the right way. Uh, and on top of that, particularly in terms of cinema, the opening uh, less than five years ago of theatres in Saudi Arabia 
is you know, mm. it's a game changer. It's a game changer because you know, traditionally, even though the Arab world is 300, 350 million people, which would, on a dollar-for-dollar dollar basis, represent a big territory, if you break it down, you know, 80, 90 million is Egypt, and they only really watch Egyptian. They don't watch other Arabic stuff. Um, so that's a third of your territory out. And then North Africa is another third, and they don't have a huge amount of cinemas. And then you start breaking it down, you end up in the Gulf. So when your biggest market in the GCC didn't have theaters, didn't have cinemas, then it was always a challenge to make Arabic language movies for a certain budget that could appeal to audiences in their own territory. Now, somewhere like Korea, for example, was always able to make Korean language movies and find a great audience in Korea. That wasn't the case for non-Egyptian Arabic movies. They always relied mm. upon, you know, co-financing from outside, being somewhat European-facing, you know, festival-friendly movies, which weren't necessarily the movies that audiences in the Arab world wanted to watch. Um, but I think when we now see Saudi is now the second biggest market already in the region, within a year or two, it'll be the biggest market. Um, and we haven't yet seen the uh, the kind of premium, let's say, high-quality Saudi uh, and Gulf language kind of movies uh, really hitting audiences. When we do see that, that's a game changer because it means, one, you can increase your budgets locally. You can increase the revenues you expect to make locally, which then allows mm. you to be more, more, more daring, more ambitious with the stories you tell. And you hope that one of those stories, and two and three and four, then find audiences outside of their territory. So for example, Egyptian movies, as successful as they are in Egypt and the Arab world, and right now, the most successful movies in Saudi alongside the big Hollywood movies are Egyptian comedies. You know, those are the ones, they, they, they make more than most other movies. But they don't travel beyond the Arab world because they are very locally minded. Whereas if we can mm. find stories, if we can find our own parasite, if we can find our own, you know, our Modavastar movies, even one day our own kind of Crouching Tiger, the type of movie that really is of a certain culture, but done in a way that's elevated and done in a way that's accessible, then you know, that's when you start to create your own stars. You know, we haven't had a star, an Arab star, since Omar Sharif, which is insane if you think about it. Um, when you look at other countries, this, obviously the Spanish, the Italians, the Chinese, and many beyond that, um, star in Hollywood movies, English language movies, it all helps. It all helps to teach uh, people about your culture. Uh, it all helps to teach people about civilization, which then, you know, I think does make a small difference, not a huge difference, but it does make a positive difference towards just the general dialogue between people, and understanding between people. We don't have that. You know, we cling mm -hmm. to, okay, now, for example, we're seeing uh, American, Arab Americans, um, comedians having success, thankfully, and, 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 and rightfully having you know, people like Rami, people like Mohammed um, are having right. mainstream success. And that's, but, you know, it's, which is great, but it's still a diaspora story. But we haven't yet had a homegrown, you know, a real, like I said, someone from Lebanon, someone from Egypt, someone from the Gulf really kind of pop out uh, and become a viable, bankable uh, name internationally. But God willing, that will happen soon. You you just reminded me, Ali, of this um, survey of Americans about the region um, a few years ago, and they asked them uh, where a number of um, countries are. And one of the countries in the survey 
was Agraba, which is the fictional mm-hmm. city, and the you know central location of the movie Aladdin, yeah. and many people think it was a real country um, in the region. I'm sure, many I'm, sure some, I'm, sure, I'm sure some Arabs thought that too. <laughs> I don't, I don't, but, but, but it's, but it's interesting. I mean, and that, and that is such a, um, such a simple um, fact, right? That realizes mm-hmm. um, this gap, this knowledge gap, right? Uh, gap of perceptions uh, between, you know, North America and the West and, and the region. So mm-hmm. yeah. I agree. I, 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 and I, I actually, I, I, add one point to that too and it's a kind of an interesting it's almost like an internal um conversation that's taking place but there's you know, there's a subtle i wouldn't say it's a tension but it's almost like a competition uh between you know arab and muslim and by that i mean if you see for example in, in the west uh, there is success with let's say asian whether you know british asian american asian uh, film stars, TV stars, you know, they've had far more success uh, than, let's say, than Arabs, partly because of numbers, but also just that you know, they, they've, they've, they've done a great job. Um, people like Riz Ahmed have won Oscars uh, and he's doing amazing work in front of the camera and behind the camera. But you'll notice that there's sometimes a kind of shut, uh, like a, a subtle focus on, oh, Muslim representation that tends to overshadow Arab representation. And you'll sometimes find that that Muslim focus taking over from the idea of people from this part of the world. So it's a, it, we know that Muslim and Arab is not the same thing, but they can sometimes be conflated and one gets lost under the other internationally. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I liked how you articulated the, uh, the, the whole notion of Egyptian cinema, the fact that maybe 90% of Arabic film, feature films in history have been Egyptian comedies or Egyptian drama, and that they don't travel as much, not even as much as Bollywood or maybe Turkish or, or even other, other local cinemas, because, because you said, you mentioned they don't, uh, <clears throat> they're too uh, local-minded. Um, so, and that's, by the way, just to be clear, some, I'm, I'm, yeah. it's not a criticism. It's just they've, they, they, they've yeah. achieved great success. They have a, they have a formula. And by the way, and the same goes for, you know, probably one of the top five movie stars on the planet, if you look at it globally, is someone like Shah Rukh Khan. Shah Rukh Khan doesn't need to make an English language movie to be a global movie star. He makes his movies yeah. in, his, in, in, in his culture, and he's just a transcendent movie star that around the world, millions, if not, you know, billions of people know who he is. So it's not in any way a criticism. It's just that when it comes to, whereas Bollywood films, for example, do find diaspora audiences, and I think it's partly because of numbers, but also, again, it's because of the scale of the movie. Um, If you look at the extravaganza, which a a three-and-a-half-hour Bollywood movie is, with songs and and dance and and, and kind of production values, obviously, India is a billion-plus in terms of a domestic audience. You don't have that. This goes back to the earlier point. You don't have that same domestic audience. The only territory that has a domestic audience that comes anywhere near to rivaling that, obviously on a smaller level, is Egypt, which is why they've thought, okay, I'll just make my movies for Egypt. And the Arabs are used to Egyptians, so they'll watch what I make anyway. 
but there's never been the idea. You, know, you, you don't see a French couple going to see, oh, let's go check out this Egyptian movie. But they might see a Bollywood so in, movie. In, yeah. In, in basic terms for outsiders from the MENA region, what would be the elements that are different between uh, an Egyptian drama and, let's say, your, 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 your latest film, Swimmers? Uh, why does that one travel globally? Is it the style? Is it that it's uh, using well, kind of the cinematic style? I think, firstly, it's because you know, the most commercial movies in Egypt are comedies. Comedies generally are local. Whether you know, mm. if you look at in, in Italy, for example, you have the, every Christmas they have the Christmas. You know, they have one or two of these super local Italian Christmas movies that they crush in the box office. I mean, they, they they beat every movie out there, but no one outside of Italy will ever see them. And one of the, I think, I think it's the biggest money maker or the second or third biggest money maker in French box office history, is a film called Bienvenue les Stiefs, Welcome to the Sticks. That no one outside of France has ever seen, but it's made more money than every other movie ever released in France, and it, it's and same with Germans, same so the, the comedy by the, mm. by definition, unless it's you know one of these globally you know kind of hangover or something like that, comedy tends to be very local, um, and that's why with Egyptian, what succeeds is the, are these comedies, and. Egyptians love them and Arabs love them, but the the sensibility is so local, there isn't a natural appeal. Now, the odd drama has managed to get out, but not with the re regularity that you'd think somewhere with, with, with the glorious, you know, if you look back to Egypt in the 50s and 60s, for example, it was the third biggest film industry in the world behind Hollywood and Bollywood. You couldn't say that today. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually the third largest film industry. Um, but since everyone, we're on Egypt, everyone else caught up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But speaking of Egypt, so how how can the rest of the region sort of learn a little bit from the Egyptian experience, but also move beyond it to to where you know this conversation is going with with you know the amplification of the local narratives to global audiences from the region. Look, I think in general, w w without speaking specifically to the Egyptian example, but I think globally, audiences have become far more open and receptive to stories from other cultures. And a, a large part of that has been thanks to these you know, kind of streaming platforms like Netflix and shows like Money Heist and Squid Game. People have gotten more used to reading subtitles. It's no longer a kind of barrier to, to their enjoyment. And they're being, because of the plethora of content, the sheer volume of content out there, you, it, it's, you want something that can stand out and surprise you. So when you've seen mm. the same romantic comedy 25 times, you're not going to watch it a 26th time. But when you confront it with something where you genuinely don't know where the story is going to go and it's done in a style that's original and distinctive, you're naturally drawn to that. Um, so that's where I think we need to, as Arabs, focus. And just I think we need to tell our stories in, in the most honest and, and 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 best way possible, and in being kind of uniquely culturally specific, but being true to that, but doing it in a way which can stand up in terms of production values and quality of script, quality of direction and acting, do it in a way that stands up to the competition, 
then we have something to say and hopefully they'll listen. Um, well, I want to go back to the whole notion of uh, being a producer just for audiences uh, who are uh, maybe young, young filmmakers or aspiring producers. Um, uh, how much of it is, if you're not working for a, for a big studio, Uh, how much of it is is really fundraising and, and really selling your idea and and how much of it is like project management or is are there different kinds of producing roles um look the the most important thing i tell anyone that wants to get into it is forget the it's not fun so don't think of it as this fun creative fulfilling role it's not it can be that But it's really it's really problem solving. It's it's getting up and making sure that you book taxis at six in the morning to pick up the cast and the crew. It's making sure that the equipment has arrived on time. It's making sure that you've got the right permit to shoot in a certain place. It's making sure that there's food coming to feed you. I mean, it's that level of project management. And then, okay, if you have the creative idea of, I think this character should do this in that moment, fine, that's a part of it. But you have other people to do that. You have writers and directors. And, of course, the best producer is someone that can marry the different elements. But if you don't have the logistical um, application and the logistical thoroughness, you'll never be a good producer. You know, that's because even though that sounds like the boring bit, that's the hard bit. Mm. You know, just having an idea and saying, oh, the script note doesn't matter. You know, fine, that's anyone can do that. Uh, but really what makes the best producers are, are the ones who are the most thorough and the ones who are the most meticulous and the most relentless because you'll constantly have setbacks or constantly be in the face obstacles and problems. And, 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 you know, so the person that can keep going somehow find the reason to keep going And you're always going to have annoying people because people are annoying and they're on film sets the most annoying because everyone thinks they're right and you have to be the one to prove to everyone they're right while getting the other person's point of view across as well. Yeah. So, so Ali, um, one of the questions that we asked a lot of our guests on this podcast is um, basically what is the role of governments in the region, businesses, you know, the private sector, to try to encourage all these different sectors to emerge, but particularly with the film industry. Who well, should it's, do it's, it's, it's crucial. It's crucial. And, and you see that, and it's happening. You know, there is now, certainly in the Gulf, uh, there are initiatives and, and, and bodies um, which are really trying to encourage both the bigger productions from outside to come, but also kind of trying to stimulate local filmmakers and storytellers mm -hmm. in the region. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, and in the private sector, ultimately it's not, you know, there's a reason why it's called private. It's not charity. So it's on us to prove that there's a uh, profitable model and a sustainable model to storytelling, which is why, again, it comes back to why is it so important that there are now theaters in Saudi Why is it so important that there are multiple uh, platforms to sell, you know, TV content and film content on digitally in the Middle East? Because that mm -hmm. all equates to revenue. So when you go to a private investor and say, you know, please put money into one movie or five movies or this series, you need to show them that there's a 
realistic chance of not just recruitment, but even making a small profit. Now, it's never going to be the same business model as real estate or oil and gas. You can't compete with those levels of return because those are different industries. But at least if you can show to someone who will have, obviously, um, additional interest in telling a particular story or supporting a particular filmmaker or also wanting to be around you know, creative people because for them that adds value to their life, you would also want to show that you're not necessarily going to lose money you might make it back and you might even make some money, but at the end of it, you'll also have some product which you're proud of and potentially also helps to you know, have a positive impact on, on, on society and, and, and perceptions. I don't know if we have more time to, to go into depth. I was, I was thinking about your point about Saudi theaters and how and, and the number of movie theaters per capita in, in, uh, in, mar- in different markets and how that really plays a role. Uh, in things like like you mentioned, uh, the commercial aspect of storytelling is it is it does it turn a profit? Does it, can the private sector get involved? Um, look, right now the only I mean, the, the, yeah look right now the only well the only but the main commercially viable uh, you know genre of movie in the Arab world are Egyptian comedies. Uh, and by the way, to be very clear, star-led Egyptian comedies, so Tamir Hosni, uh, you know, big names. Mm. Now, there is also a belief, and uh, the, the company I work for, NBC, obviously, being a Saudi company, is making a big investment in, in, in Saudi content as well as pan-Arab content. But we do have a belief that if we create quality, you know, high-quality Saudi content, that will also find a big audience, number one in Saudi, of course, but we hope beyond. Um, so that's where I think we might see, or I'd hope to see, a paradigm shift in the next few years. And particularly since the, you know, the, the advancement that's happening in Saudi, it's, it's astonishing. You know, it, it's, it's a different country um, today than it was even just a few years ago. And you see what the young generation is doing there, men and women. Um, that advance socially and culturally should really, if we, I hope, is give rise to some super interesting stories. Yeah, I mean, again, speaking of Saudi Arabia, um, since we're, we're on that, I, I do remember when the movie Wajda came out, mm-hmm. um, the young girl who, you know, just kept fighting her way to ride a bicycle. Um, and the sociocultural um, sort of context, I think that actually, um, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are in terms of viewership, but I do remember, at least in Washington, um, there was a lot of interest because they had not seen a story like that before. You're absolutely right. It's a great example. And it's actually an example of what I think would change because Swajda was primarily financed um, well, it, not primarily, but 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 you know, was substantially financed with Arab money, but also with with kind of European money. Um, you know, mm. that kind of European co-production, festival-led, and it was a festival-led movie that did fantastically mm. well. Partly because mm. you know, Haifa Mansour, the director's story of the first film to shoot in Saudi, and female director, young girl protagonist, you know, was such a such an appealing story, and it was such a nice movie, but. The, the movie I want to see now 
is the Home Alone version of Wesley. Because that's yeah. the one that I want to see now. Because, you know, that kind of festival-ish art house type of movie, you know, isn't mm. your natural bet, successful bet in this region. But doing that kind of a story where the girl is very cheeky and she's, you know, she's kind of uh, doing, it's like Dennis the Menace and, and doing stuff. And, you know, it's making that on an elevated level is, mm. I think, the next step. Mm. Going from drama to to comedy, from drama to action, that for me is the next step. But still doing it in a, in, a, in a classy way, in a way that has something to say. You know, I, I always said if you did Beverly Hills Cop, exactly the same movie in Beirut or Baghdad, it would be seen as an art house movie, just because of the language right. and the context. <laughs> but the fact is, it would still be Beverly Hills Cop. It would still be about a wisecracking policeman and a, and a fish out of water. So, kind of context and subtext is everything. So for me, the yeah. most subversive thing we can do is to tell honest, well-made Arabic stories that do say something about our condition, but do them in a super commercial way so that they're as accessible as possible. And when someone watches them, they will feel a little bit, a little bit closer to that culture and that society than they were before they watched it. Um, let's see. We usually wrap it up by asking uh, what we would recommend, uh, you know, filmmakers in the Arab world. What would you tell them? Uh, advice? Any advice you have? No, they. I mean, look. One, make sure you have a story to tell. You know, a lot of us. I always, you know, I have this thing where someone comes in and pitches a story. I'm like, okay, but wait. Think of three people. Now, can you think of three people other than your friends and your family that would go out and buy a ticket to see this story on a Tuesday night? And if the answer is no, then you probably should find a different story to tell. As that's the first thing. Make sure there's, a, there's an audience for your story. But two, mm. beyond that, is make sure you've got your script as good as it possibly can be. Because without a good script, you're never going to make a good movie. And that might impact your chances of making a second or a third movie. And then make sure you have a good team around you. Make sure you're making it for the right price. Spending more doesn't mean it's going to be better. Not, you know, how can you get the most value on screen? How can you make your dollar go furthest? So that when people finally see it, you really have tried to do something that's honest, that means something to you, and that could also mean something to them. Persistence, persistence, persistence. Mm. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank, uh, thank you. That that was um, great advice. Um, I like the focus on teams because we've heard it in other conversations too, um, with you know budding and struggling entrepreneurs. So uh, thank you for that, and um, good luck with all your future work. Thank you. Yes, I need it. I always need it. <laughs> Thanks, 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 Best of luck, everybody. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State.